just like El Roy, just like Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shammah is a name that only occurs once in the Bible. But its description, which we'll get to, is shown throughout the Bible. And so let's look at the name Jehovah Shammah. That's how you pronounce it. Shammah. The Lord is there. The Lord is my companion. Boy, and I'm going to need that. And don't you need that? Would you like the Lord to be there wherever you are? Okay. Well, you're going to like how that means even more than what it appears. But we'll get to that when we get to the passage. But how does this name... Because that's the whole point, guys. We don't want to just grow in knowledge or understanding alone. We want to know how does this apply to us? How does this affect how we're going to live our lives differently for Christ. And so really what this name means, and as we look at this description of God and our relationship with Him, it means God's presence is not limited or contained in the tabernacle during the whole desert wandering, in the temple during the times of Israel, but that He is accessible to everyone who love Him and obey Him. But before we examine that name, I want to look at another passage as we've been doing that relates to this characteristic of the Lord being there, the Lord being my companion. And Psalm 46 is an amazing psalm. It carries the central theme of having unconditional trust in God no matter what should happen. The theme is summarized by this common refrain, God is my refuge. Now, the psalm is divided into three strophes. And you're like, well, why am I saying that? Because sometimes I think when we read the Bible or listen to the Bible, we, we think the Bible was written in a vacuum. And it wasn't. It was written during a particular time through particular people with a particular worldview or a particular context. And even literary styles from their time were used in writing the Bible. The Bible is a literal thing as well as a spiritual thing. And so the fact that they used poetry... They use the literary style of their time. And, and so we're going to break up these three strophes and see what does this teach us about the Lord being there, about God being our refuge. So Psalm 46, verse 1 through 3 is the first strophe. God, in the Hebrew here is Elohim, is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, this is who God is, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters, its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Very appropriate for even our present conditions. So you see what that just stated? That even when there's disorder of cosmic origin, because that would be crazy for something as secure and solid as a mountain to suddenly just be thrown into a sea. So even if there's cosmic disorder... God is our refuge. Even if order of our universe, of our life, were to change to disorder, which it often does, does it not? Jehovah Shammah would be there with us. Look at the three nouns described of this God's faithfulness to us. That He is there. It says that He is our refuge. Now, that implies two things. One is you're going to need it, right? But second, that He is it. He is our refuge. He is the safe place, even in the storms of life. Even when those things that we need orderly becomes disorderly, God is there. It says He's our strength. 
See, so often I think the reason we're overwhelmed by our troubles is because we rely on our strength. But when things are going bad, and they do go bad, we need to rely on His strength. And then this phrase, this one's a little harder to believe sometimes, I know, if we're honest. But this is what the Bible says about God. Our ever-present help. Yeah, let that sink in for a minute. Because I think we go, yes, that's awesome, God! But then when at that moment we don't feel His present help, do we still believe it? And maybe the reason He's not helping is because He's actually helping. Right? right. No, wait, that doesn't make sense. That, that, no, that can't, no. Maybe the suffering you're going through is ultimately helping you greater than if you just relieved the suffering. Yeah. Right? And so that's what we need to understand about this God who is there. He's there even before you're there. He knows what's coming. And He's our refuge. He's our help. He's our strength. We go to verse 4 of, chapter, of Psalm 46, strophe 2 through verse 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, Elohim. You see the contrast there from the first strophe? Where the water is storming, the mountains are raging, the seas are raging. Now we got this wonderful river, this stream that brings gladness to a city or to a people. So it's the holy place where the Most High, El Elyon, which Will has done a lesson on, dwells. God, Elohim, is within her. She will not fall. God, Elohim, will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty, Yahweh Tzaba, or Sebeoth, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we went from cosmic disorder to now political disorder. Right? Which I think we're currently in. A little bit, looking at our world and at our society. It's, it's a mess out there. Very applicable. But notice the contrast between the nations that are in uproar and kingdoms fall, and where the Lord dwells, it says, streams make glad the city, and it will not fall. Amen. Which place do you want to be? I don't want to fall. Right? Yeah. We want to be where the Lord is. Because the Lord is there. That's the point. The location's not important. It's who's there at that location. That's important. How is God portrayed in this strophe? Helper. Fortress. God is a helper. Now, it's funny. We, we have a problem when we don't feel like God is helping. But you've all been in a situation where there's some need that someone keeps going to you for... And there comes a point where helping actually hurts them. Right? It's called Toxic Benevolence. There's actually a great book on it, When Helping Hurts. Great book. A lot of nonprofits deal with this, is that there comes a point you're actually doing more damage than good. That's a reality. This is not just spiritual. This is the real world having these issues. And so when we see God as our helper, do you realize then, just like us, we don't want to create codependency when we're helping people, right? God doesn't either. Well, no, God needs to help me with it. Does He? Because there comes a point if He helps you in everything, that you're just lazy and you're not changing and you don't know if you're growing. How's that helping you? That's actually hurting you. So when we see if God is our helper, let's remain. It's the same like when we're a helper. There comes a point where the help hurts rather than helps. And God is no different. And then again, this idea of our fortress. 
which anyone that's dealing with the Gulf Coast right now, man, they want a fortress. They want something that no matter how strong the winds, no matter how high the water is, they're going to be protected. And that's who God is described as. But we've got to be where the Lord is, because the Lord is there. So now we move on to the third strophe, verses 8 through 11. Come and see what the Lord, Yahweh, has done. The desolations He has brought on the earth. Ooh, there's a challenging verse. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God, Elohim. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty, Yahweh Tzabah, or Jehovah Sebaoth, the God Elohim of Jacob, is our fortress. So now we get to the third strophe, and now it went from cosmic disorder to political disorder to now the climax, and it's all imperatives. Which, if you don't know what that means, it means commands, direction, things you've got to do. Now that you know who God is, what does He call us to do? The first thing He says is just come and see. You, gotta, you actually got to open your eyes to see that the Lord is there. Because so often we can so look at our troubles and our storms and our winds, we don't see God even though He's there. We've got to come and see. Honor the works that He has done in your life and will be doing in your life. And then the second is be still and know. In other words, as you stop and look at how God has worked in your life, do you confess to others He is your God? Do you confess to others, guys, God has been there for me, even in the worst moments. The Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah, or Yahweh Shammah. God is described in this strophe three ways. Peacemaker. Guys, the whole hostility, the racial divide that Rebecca was sharing about, only Christ can bring about peace. Only He can get rid of that dividing wall of hostility. Only if we individually deny ourselves and take Him across like Jesus, can that peace truly come. He is the peacemaker. We are not. Because we each have our biases. We each have our circumstances. Only God can help us. And we've got to turn to Him. And second, He's victor. He's won. He's already won the battles you haven't even yet to face. He won the war, even though there's still battles we must endure. He's the victor. He's the champion. And then again, it closes our fortress. It's mentioned twice, so that means we've got to really pay attention to this attribute of the Lord being there. He's not just there like, hey, hello guys. He's there for a purpose, for a reason. He's there that even when things are terrible, He's there and He's your fortress. Now, many scholars believe this was written, this psalm, during the time of Hezekiah, which is very appropriate because this is when they were miraculously delivered from Assyrians. So, really, when this psalm, if this was written at the time, it makes sense. Like, look what God did. We, we should have been destroyed by them. But God was our fortress. God is our strength. God is our refuge. However, the psalm is not a promise or guarantee for the people of God that faith gives automatic protection from danger or disaster. In fact, Israel would continue to be unfaithful, not trusting in Jehovah Shammah. They would eventually be overcome, taken into exile, 
The temple destroyed, and worst of all, God's presence departed from both Jerusalem and even the temple itself, as revealed by many visions in the book of Ezekiel. To give you a little bit of that understanding, I'm going to show you some clips from the Bible Project on Ezekiel. Let's watch the first one describing the Lord departing. And after about a year, he has another vision. This one is about the temple. He goes on this virtual tour of the temple, and he sees what's happening there in his advent, and it is not good. In the outer courtyard, in front of the temple, he sees this large idol statue. And then he sees the elders of Israel worshiping other gods, both outside and inside the temple. And then he sees the women of Israel. They're worshiping a Babylonian god named Tammuz. And the vision ends with God's glorious throne chariot moving up and away from the temple. It's leaving, going east, headed towards Babylon. And so in chapter 11, we come to see why and how God's glory appeared to Ezekiel there in Babylon. Israel's idolatry and their covenant violations, it's become so blatant and offensive that God has left his temple. They've driven him away, and he consigns it to destruction. But God hasn't abandoned his people. Rather, he goes into exile with them. And so at the end of this vision, in chapter 11, God promises that he will return a remnant of Israel back to the land, and he'll transform them by removing their heart of stone and giving them a new, soft heart of flesh so that they can love and truly follow their God after all. This is a small glimmer of hope, and it's quickly submerged under the reality of the imminent destruction. Mm. That is amazing. He leaves the temple, but not simply as discipline for their idolatry and rebellion. Because did you catch what it said? He headed east to where they were going to be taken exile. God was already going where they would be. We only look at it as God's left us, God's left us, and He never did. He actually left the temple not just as discipline, but also to go be where they were going to be in exile. And I think sometimes we just think, oh, God's not present, God's not present. But maybe He left to where you're about to go. And that's the vision of God that we need, that the Lord is there. When it says the Lord is there, He's not always saying the Lord is there presently. The Lord is there futurely. That's an interesting thought of God, that He knows what's coming. And it's amazing when you think of this, because at the end of Ezekiel, despite their rebellion, despite the eventual captivity, taken exile, temple destroyed, he still ends on this positive note, describing very similarly to what the revelation of John reveals at the end. This new temple, this new city. And the dimensions are very interesting between Ezekiel and Revelation. But he gives them this hope that there will come a point that that is going to be realized despite what they've done. So let's watch that little clip, the very end of Ezekiel. last section of the book describes how God's presence is going to one day return to His people and His temple to bring cosmic restoration. 
So Ezekiel first gets this long, elaborate vision of a new temple and a new city. He's given this heavenly tour guide who shows him around the new temple complex, and it's much larger and more majestic than even Solomon's temple. There's an altar, new priests, a whole new system of worship. And then after this elaborate tour, God's glorious throne chariot that he saw back in his first vision comes back, and it enters the new temple. Now, the meaning of these temple visions has been the source of debate for a long, long time. So some Christian Jewish readers believe that this vision will be fulfilled literally one day, and that these chapters offer the actual blueprints of the new temple that will be built when the Messiah returns and brings God's kingdom. But many other Jewish and Christian readers think that this vision, like all of Ezekiel's other visions, is full of symbols. And they depict the reality of God's presence returning to his people in the Messianic kingdom, but not necessarily in the form of an actual building. Whichever view you take, it's important that Ezekiel never calls the city Jerusalem. And chapters 47 and 48 show why. Ezekiel sees this tiny stream pouring out of the temple threshold instead. And then it quickly becomes this raging river. And then it flows out of the temple and the city into the desert, into one of the most desolate places on planet Earth, the Dead Sea Valley. And then that river, it leaves behind it a trail of trees and life. And then the Dead Sea gets transformed into a living sea that's teeming with plants and animals. All of this imagery comes from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And we see just how cosmic Ezekiel's vision really is. God's plan has always been to restore all humanity and all creation back to his life-giving presence. And so the book ends with the name of this garden city. Mm. The Lord is there. And so Ezekiel's visions come to a close, full of hope for a new future. New humans living in a new world that's animated by God's life-giving spirit. It's a world permeated with God's love and justice. And that's what the book of Ezekiel is all about. And I encourage you to go back and look at the whole video for the whole book of Ezekiel. But here we see this incredible ending despite the exile, despite the Lord's presence leaving the temple, but He actually left to be where they were going. And yet he leaves this impression that the Lord is there. This is where we find the actual occurrence of the Hebrew name. The Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah. It's Ezekiel 48.35, and it says, In the name of the city, this future city, from that time on will be, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. Yahweh Shammah. Now, did you catch that? The Lord is there in a future event. Not, is the Lord is there presently. Think of how amazing that is for a minute. And I, and I do understand that technically it's a name more for a city rather than an actual title of God. But, because this city is so closely associated with God's presence and His power, it is also equated as a name of God. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. It's referring to a future event. And in reality, we don't realize how important that is for us because we often live that way in the sense that we're constantly looking forward to some future event with either anticipation, excitement, or trepidation and fear. But we can know the Lord is there. But here, here's some homework for you. How can you know truly, how can we really believe Jehovah Shammah, Yahweh Shammah, is going to be there in a future event? By actually looking back in the past and see when the Lord was there. And I'll tell you, you will see it. 
I've even just looked at my own life, how I came to even this moment right here. How many moments where it seemed darkest for me, the Lord was already going to a future event. I think of when I was 13 and I had a near-death experience. I couldn't even go to school. I was homeschooled. I could barely walk, couldn't eat, was about to die. And the only thing I could do at the time was to read. I remember reading about the apostles and remember going, God, if you'll get me through this, man, I'll do this for you. And yet, I was going through suffering, seeing my parents suffer, seeing me in the sick. But the Lord was there because that very injury prevented me from continuing full contact sports of soccer. So I had to take up running. But see, the Lord was there. Little did I know, at that same time, it was, my, it was my junior year of high school, third high school in three states, and my family wanted to move again. What? God! But the Lord was there because where He moved me was California, where in my senior year, there was another teammate, this girl named Tammy, who was graduating already the year before, but trained with us in the summer. And I think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, see, the Lord was already there. Little did I know, after finishing that school year, being healthy, I actually was... Doing very well, set the school record, top 25 in the nation out of high school for two miles. Got all these different school offers, but the girl that was there the year before me introduced me to the coach of the school where I eventually would end up. How did that happen? Because the Lord was there. Little did I know that going to that school, that the church in L.A. had not really yet been formulated, so not until 91, because I went there in 86, little did I know that there would be a disciple of a small campus ministry that would meet me that summer just in a quick acquaintance. Hey, this is Joanne. Hey, Joanne. And that was it. The Lord was there. And in that moment when I met her, I was going through some terrible things in my own life, my own faith. I was beginning to doubt God. I was thinking of just giving in to all the sexual temptations that I was experiencing, the broken relationships. And yet, something just clicked with this person that I didn't even meet but 20 seconds. Little did I know, a few months later, she'd invite me to church. And I'd remember her name. The Lord was there. And little did I know that when I came to the church, there would be Andy and Tammy because they were part of this ministry that was being a part of that training. I became a disciple, come out of the water, and the first people I see is Andy and Tammy. Why? Because the Lord is there. Because then he knew just a few months later I'd be asked to go to Moscow along with Leanne, who he knew also was there because later it would be my wife. And I could just go on and on and on. The Lord is there! I have so many more stories I could share, just crazy stuff. One of the craziest was my roommate who I baptized. The Lord is there. Went on a blind date, you know, with some other brothers and sisters with Leanne. Fell in love with her, like, too much, and Leanne was not interested, and he didn't get it. And I remember one day, I was like, I was tired of hearing it. And I'm like, because he was my roommate, I'm like, bro, you don't know what could happen. I could end up marrying her. The Lord is there. And he actually did call me up when he found out we were dating, like, Derek, do you remember? I'm like, I did say that. So be careful what you say before God, amen? But what I'm trying to say, guys, is the Lord is there. Jehovah Shema, it's not just about Him presently. He's already where you're going to be, no matter what the circumstance. How amazing is that? So often we don't think that way, do we? This is great quote I would like to share from this woman, Leah Adams, about this issue. Since so often you and I live our lives looking ahead to some event, some time in our lives, some potential disaster, some looming date, we may wonder what that date will bring to our lives or how we will survive it. Perhaps it's a doctor's appointment or a court date 
or your child leaving home or your mate passing away. It could be a new job, a divorce, or moving from a place that you have called home for many years. Whatever this future event is, it causes you to have a knot in the pit of your stomach every time you think about it. Be it real or imagined, this future occurrence causes you huge amounts of stress, angst, and worry. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, is there. Our God is already in your tomorrow. He already knows what your future looks like, and He has complete control of it. The Lord is there. You cannot be in your future now, but He can. You can't control the future events of your life, but He can. Jehovah Shammah will walk with you into whatever tomorrow holds because of His great love for you. God is there in your tomorrow and in my tomorrow. He simply desires that we trust His heart. Wow, I love that quote. Is Jehovah Shammah really there? You've got to answer that. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence, but the name in the New Testament that most closely relates to this name of God that we've looked at in Ezekiel, in many ways, is the very fulfillment of God's promise in Ezekiel about a place where His presence will come again. Matthew one twenty two. I wonder what this name might be in the New Testament. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is there. The Jews unfortunately thought it was going to be a literal new temple and new nation. There was a new temple built. Israel was brought back, but still under the rule of Rome. But God's presence did come into that temple as a human, as the Messiah, not the king they thought of, but the king we needed most, the one who would die for us, so that he could always be there. Jesus is the physical representation in human form of Jehovah Shammah. And now that He has departed and sent His Spirit into us who are His disciples who are baptized in His name, and if you need to understand what that means, talk to someone before you leave. We will help you out with that. The Scriptures give us direction. But once we have that Spirit, guess what? The Lord is there. How cool is that? But He's even there in the future events. He's in our tomorrow. Ephesians 2, 19-22, very appropriate with what Rebecca shared earlier. We'll close out. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling, a place in which God lives. The Lord is there by His Spirit. The Lord is there. Where? Well, this passage tells us. 
in a new nation. A nation no longer divided by race, gender, or any other segregation. It's a new nation. The Lord is there. It's in a new household. This isn't just some organization. It isn't just some national entity. It is a family with Him as Father. The Lord is there. And He is in a new temple. A temple not with bricks and mortar, but a temple that is built on the prophets, the apostles, and Christ Jesus as a chief cornerstone. It's the temple now in our hearts. The Lord is there. If we truly appreciate Jehovah Shammah, if we truly understand that the Lord is there now and in the future, then shouldn't that be visible in our lives? If it is, then when people look at our church, they look at our small group, or at your family, or household, or even your individual life in school, in work, or in your neighborhood, shouldn't they look to each other and say, Look! Jehovah Shammah! The Lord is there. Amen. Amen.